it off. No. I have to see more. Feel more. Turn it off. No. Cool. Cool. Welcome to the soapbox. This is uh, an episode of the soapbox. We're going to talk about 1986's From Beyond, starring that guy that carved stuff in himself at the end of The Frighteners. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jeffrey Coombs, I believe his name is. And a lot of rubber and slime also starring in the film. <laughs> And it's uh, based on a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, which I also read this morning before I watched the film, which made for a really fun, uh, like, this-then-that experience. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's funny. It's starring a lot of, like, rubber. And uh, I, I would say the aesthetics of this film could be summed up by chewed bubblegum, freshly chewed bubblegum. It's <laughs> like... Um, so I suggested this movie because um, I don't know it's a personal favorite of mine and I watching it again I still love it I'm really curious what you thought about it you might hate it we'll see it. I, I definitely did not hate it uh, <laughs> like I was actually pleasantly surprised uh, I don't know how to explain it was like it's it skirted that line of being like so trashy that it took me out of the story, but yeah. it didn't it didn't fully go there at all. And and then actually I think the last maybe third of the movie I feel like found found some kind of pace that made me think maybe the director actually knew more what they were doing than they let on for the first i i don't know why it was just that's maybe it's just because of where we're at in time now but some part of me felt like are they intentionally employing camp and like like very successfully and strategically because it actually i don't know i don't know i really liked i i it wasn't as i didn't laugh as much as i thought i was gonna laugh yeah and I actually ended up being like into it more than I expected. Kind of, kind of fell into the uh, atmosphere of just shitty '80s like furniture and decor, and it something about it made everything feel like a fuzzy sort of vivid. Yeah. That. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of drew me in, and that that surprised me. I I liked it. I, I had a really good time. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that because this this was the movie, like in college dorms, when everybody would would share films. I would always bring this one out for people to watch, and they. And inevitably, everybody ended up really loving it, especially since they were horror fans, because it, it has this. And this is this is the thing that I think is sort of missing with films now. I, I can't seem to find this. 
this movie is like B movie trash, undoubtedly. But because it is, there's something about it that like I don't know. It, it gets it has because it's it's operating at that level. It has permission to do things that if it was a serious film, it couldn't do. And for some reason, like that just makes it shine more. Um, and it's it's also funny, you know given who I am now compared to when I first saw this. And I saw this pretty young. I saw this like it, I was probably like 12 or something when I first saw this movie. Um, there's all these like crazy, like uh, paranormal and occult shit inside of it that uh, like the whole thing about the pituitary gland and that being the third eye. And then everything turns this like really weird magenta and there's this whole thing about the violet flame i don't know if you've ever heard about that which is which is a meditative state apparently that like you wouldn't it's like your third eye starts to see purple before it so i i don't know if like where if that's an influence on them making this movie or not but it's just weird that that's in there and then the the other fact that it's like it's so they built the i guess we should explain a little bit the basic premise is that these two mad scientists built this machine called the resonator and what it does is it like it elevates the vibrations in the area immediately uh surrounding it and, and it, because of that it stimulates uh your pituitary gland and that allows you to uh see and interact with a dimension that is overlaying and simultaneous with our own and it gives you boners and it gives you boners. Yes. And it, yeah, the, the whole sexual, like overly sexualized part of it too is, is amazing. Uh, which I don't know if that's, that, I don't know how well that tracks with actual science, but who cares? Um, 90% of it, like, I, I, I thought that was great. About 90% of the movie, not in the short story. Like, this is all <laughs> shit they made up on the set or. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that was the thing. I, like, I, I, that's the other thing is I read that short story a long time ago after seeing the movie. And uh, I remember the resident, I remember it being a very brief story and it basically ends with uh, them turning on like the turning on the resonator. And then I don't remember if like, it feels like something's coming and it sort of stops there. I don't even remember if they talked about the pituitary gland or any of that was part of it. They, 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 the pineal gland, and they do, they do mention the pineal gland. In the, in pineal the story. gland, yeah. Sorry, and the story is only six pages. Um, uh, yeah, in my book, uh, depends on your size, of font, and everything, obviously. Um, and they, okay, so he goes, he goes to see his friend that he hasn't seen in a while, and he looks basically like he's uh, turning into a gargoyle, like he's all thin, and uh, you know, he's like. Basically went vegan, um, and uh, and then he goes inside and he he wants to show him the machine, and he turns it on and he sees some weird shit like these jellyfish looking things, which are in the movie. That's maybe five percent, <laughs> yeah, ten percent, and the rest is just the guy's name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he turns it on and the guy freaks out and he puts his hand on his gun. And and basically then there's like the reveal, it gets more intense, and then there's the reveal that like his housemaids or his, his like servants 
were taken by the jellyfish and eaten. And he's like, you noticed those clothes on the floor, right? And it's like, yeah, that was creepy. What the fuck? Um, and he's like, <clears throat> he's, in, he's kind of feeling that he's one one with the stuff, whatever the stuff is, and he, he, he needs it at this point. It's some kind of addiction. And oh, I guess that's in there too. Maybe we're up to like 15% of the, of the book is in the film. But, uh, and then, and then he shoot, he, he goes to shoot the machine. Yeah, they arrest him and he ends up not getting in trouble because he shot the, the resonator instead. Um, and it basically just ends with them saying like, but they never did find the bodies of those servants. <laughs> <laughs> It's but it's it's really great. It's a really well crafted little story. And so it that that becomes the launching point for this Mad is a shithouse film where in this film uh, it it opens up right at the beginning with them. Like that's the other thing I love about it is that this movie never there's not it never goes there's never a dull slow moment in it. It's just it hits the ground running and it's just insane from the beginning uh, where uh, he turns on, they turn the resonator on and it's, it's like this that's the other thing, I love the aesthetics of this movie, I, I love the like the old, like the, the attic filled with like random old scientific equipment that looks like it was it was pulled from a power station or something and and then the resonator itself is this is this giant uh, like those like lightning ball Tesla bulb things. Basically, that with a bunch of giant tuning forks around it. Uh, so they they turn it on, and then there's like this that weird purple magenta light shows up, and then he sees these like creatures swimming, I believe, and he goes and gets. I think he shuts it off because it, one of them bites him. Like immediately, uh, and then he goes and gets his his like lab partner, his I guess it's his superior, and they go and he has them turn the machine back on, and, the, and Jeffrey Combs is like, we should we should we should stop this, but then the other guy is just like totally into it. He just he won't because he's a pervert. That's the other thing that's revealed. This guy's like a. Uh, a crazy sadomasochist, and uh, they—they're like something's coming. I can sense something's coming, and <laughs> and then uh, it, it's, it, everything gets wilder and wilder. The, the the windows are blown out, and then it it cuts to this lady across the street with her tiny dog, and and she's like looking at this like horror house on the hill and she's she's saying oh they're at it again god damn it and her dog jumps out the window and runs towards the house which is also fucking absurd uh and so she goes inside and it's uh she goes all the way up to the attic where it's revealed that some that uh oh well they're she runs she gets scared and runs away because they discover in the attic that that the main doctor pretorius who's like the main villain of the film his his corpse is on the floor with his head twisted off. Like his head's gone. It's been swallowed and like ripped off. Um, which again, 
interesting in relation to the headless right another like occultless occult undercurrent that's like thrown into this movie that you wonder if i yeah i don't know yeah that um, is because of what happens to him late like he he becomes like a disembodied consciousness basically so that that is really interesting and i i yeah we'll have to get into that yeah uh well so basically they uh, jeffrey combs who well i can't i can't remember the name of his character in this movie I'm just going to keep calling him Jeffrey Combs. They basically put him in a in the mental asylum, and at, at this point, this lady shows up, uh, the the wonderful uh, Barbara Crampton, uh, who is like she's like a B movie queen. She's been in so many fucking movies. That's another thing I want to want to talk about. So Jeffrey Combs, who's the who's the star in this, is that is just so what? That's, yeah, that's um that's Incel Bruce Campbell, right? <laughs> yeah it's funny he he has he's in that same vicinity as bruce campbell and that um he's always so much fun in whatever he's in but he's just never really been in the mainstream ever i think his like the frighteners you've mentioned uh he's also been in he was also he also showed up in star trek a, a couple times that makes sense yeah as a as another character but he's this really great and then that's the other thing is that I don't know that this exists anymore. There, there's like these kind of like B movie actors that sort of their careers never go beyond this this sort of. There's like a ceiling or something that they don't ever hmm. step through. But his whole career is like intimately tied to H.P. Lovecraft because the people that that uh, that made this movie from Beyond also made uh, Reanimator. In fact, Reanimator was the first thing that they all met on. And the director, this guy, Stuart Gordon, uh, can't, he has a theater background. And so his whole thing was that like, he, likes, he likes working with actors over and over again. So they, they went on to just kind of like create all these different movies that were all H.P. Lovecraft influenced. In fact, there's another great... Uh, low-budget Lovecraft movie called The Resurrected, which is based on the uh, the Curious Case of, Al of Alexander Ward, I think is the name of the story, which is another, which was directed by Dan O'Bannon, who's the guy that wrote Alien. Oh, but yeah, but it's another wonderful like for a period from the, like the eighties to early nineties, there were all these like really great low-budget Lovecraft adaptations that were that are like surprisingly good. For what they are and um to me i mean to me from beyond's like the best one I, I love it so much because it 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 like navigates these waters of of uh uh grotesque trash and like it it it's it's somehow both like re really ridiculous and serious at the same time uh which is which is the thing that i've always loved about like schlock is when it hits that point and i think so much of that has been killed by the idea of irony yes yes and uh, uh the, the because because you can tell when they made this movie they were taking it seriously this was not a joke to them right they're not play. they're not i mean there's some big decisions as far as the acting goes 
because I mean, how else do you uh, do you perform having your pineal gland burst forth from your forehead and like <laughs> act as like an anglerfish uh, uh, lure <laughs> towards brains and work. <laughs> God, there's so much to get into. Um, uh, but the idea I think of like irony has killed that because all the movies now that fit this category are are these like really stupid like we're aware of we know this is a joke and we're we're aware of it so we're going to not treat this seriously and that i think keeps keeps movies from ever kind of going beyond what they are that's really interesting you say that because long before i had any kind of like i was i was always very uh more like witchy shamanish uh sort of approach to things until you know i got clean from from bad drugs like four years ago like but long before i ever got like into studying actual magic like um i always had this thing with paradox and simultaneous cringe and seriousness where mm. we're like so ridiculous that you're you're clearly not supposed to take it seriously but then it, it manages to rope you in and and actually get you like emotionally invested uh that kind of thing really gets me uh a lot <clears throat> and i think it's interesting because i always felt that way but it's only been you know in recent years that it's clicked for me that that's like a, a sort of fundamental magical um, way of being, like to be able to accept paradox simultaneously and sort of just exist in the tension without having to fall into a dualistic, like I have to slide to one side or the other and, and choose and like define the experience or the movie or the whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, to, to go on a completely, complete tangent, I mean, that's the martial art, martial art I practice, which is, which is based in, it's a Chinese martial art, Chinese internal martial art. So it's a, it's a Taoist system. And so much of the actions and the quality that you have to have in your body is all paradox, right? It's all this, like, you must be relaxed, but at the same time, there's these, there's this balance between tensions that that's actually what gives you the relaxation. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's what, that's the, it's interesting to relate that to magic because that, that is the quality that something like this movie has where exactly like the, the fact that it is this really ridiculous premise that is treated with such seriousness somehow make like somehow elevates it and um i guess it's the same idea of like absurdity it's it's just it's you know it's being courageous and honest in a way right like you 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 know what you're you're doing is a preposterous thing but not shying away from that and not being uh scared of it and not 
worrying about what others might think of that, that sort of that that sort of like brings out the diamonds from the rough, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, which is also funny because this is this is a very high minded high minded uh, conversation for for such a ridiculous movie. Well, that I mean that's fitting the theme, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's but that's you know other shit's boring. That's <laughs> wait what? Other shit is just kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, I personally hate comedies. I hate comedy movies. Um, mm. I think that almost all of them are just total garbage because there's this like expectation of the laugh built into the scene every time. Where if you're any if you're of any intelligence whatsoever, you can't help but feel I feel like pandered to, um, and like being talked down to a little bit in comedies because there's this. They just lob everything in and everything is a reused bullshit joke for the most part. Anything that's like listed in the comedy section. But but if you go and you find something like this, you're going to get like parts that make you laugh out loud by yourself. You know, but then you're also having this really a completely unique and and very strange experience that you aren't going to like forget within 48 hours. You know, that's that's actually been my my gauge for a while now is if someone says, uh, like, have you seen this? And I'm like, yes, but I don't remember it. So it was trash. Like, Uh that's if I didn't remember it, it wasn't good. I mean, I know I have like a shit memory, exceptionally shit memory, but it's still true. I mean, I the things that I don't forget are like fucking gold and they're the best. (laughs) (laughs) <clears throat> that, that's that's interesting what you're saying about comedies. I I do enjoy a lot of comedies, but there there is I will sometimes hit a mood with them where the humor falls away and I'm almost seeing it seriously, and then suddenly a comedy will become the saddest thing in the world because if you if you like if you take the premise of what's happening in the movie seriously. They're usually like awful, tragic things. Yeah. See, that's and, kind of the every time because I, when I feel like someone's trying too hard to do anything, it's just in my nature. Like, I'm a Libra son, but I have a like a, a stacked house in Scorpio. So the way that this interplay happens is, it's, and Mercury is one of them in Scorpio. So there's this like, if someone's communicating with me and they're they're trying too hard in one direction i'm gonna balance that out and i can't help it. it's just in my nature like if if uh if a girl's come if like my throughout my whole life like if a girl was coming on too strong i would just play dumb or i would just become crass and and disgusting and like or if someone's in a bad mood like i will be happy even if i'm not in a good mood there's just something that happens there where uh so so it happens to me in film too like if if someone's trying too fucking hard like i get stubborn and it's like this no go to hell like Mm. see it your your silly way that you're trying like desperately to make me see it Uh, because it it feels like i'm being strong and i'm like 
no. Yeah. Like, you came here to have a good time. Like, let me experience this and let me decide what it is. It's interesting. So basically what you're saying is, is you can see the manipulation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because, because every, every film, every creative thing is a manipulation of some point of some sort, right? Because it's trying to invoke a feeling within you or a mood. And uh, when that becomes apparent, you feel like you're being played or used. Right. I just needed to be less direct. I needed to be flirtatious. Like, like give me the, the courtesy of like of of assuming I'm an, I'm smart and and give me something to work with. Give me like a challenge. Uh, some kind of uh, basically, it's like flirting. You know, it's yeah. it's like flirt with me. Don't don't just ask me to fuck. And and that really <laughs> that really only applies to things like art I, and communication, I guess, because. Because when it comes to like my wife, I'd rather just ask. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it's Wait, it's, it's a weird it, thing. It's it, it's funny because it's basically desperation, right? That's that's and it's the it's just creative desperation. It's because there's not uh, they're too tied to the outcome or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that's wow. Yeah, you just touched on something deep for me because that's. Yeah, that's that's always an issue for me. Is like I I imagine a thing and I want it to exist so bad that I get stuck in the in the process and until I I get so frustrated that I just fucking burn up and I quit and I say like fuck that project I'm never doing it again and then I'm free to do it. (laughs) 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 That's well, yeah. So there's this, uh, so there's a, a worm coming out of his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so that's a that's a that's a jump forward. But basically, this uh, so Jeffrey Combs' character is locked away in a mental institution, and this lady shows up who wants to help him. And maybe, she, maybe she she listens to his story. And it's like, we should, based on what he was saying and the, cause he's, he was, he tells her about the experiments and what they were trying to do and accomplish. And she's like, well, we should, let's do a CAT scan and see what's going on with his pineal gland. And they do. And it's, turns out that his is enlarged, like it's bigger. So there's, there's some actual evidence for what has happened. They do, like, so maybe his crazy story about um, maybe he didn't ch- chop off his, his partner's head. Maybe a th- uh, maybe they did build this thing and maybe they did connect to some other dimension. Maybe. Uh, but the assumption is still that he's delusional. But she's such a crazy mad scientist too. I, lo- I love that how like everyone who, who's uh, basically a scientist and are um, science are medic- medical based here are all fucking like... They, they don't take any warnings. They just plow ahead and they think they know best and it all ends up fucking destroying them. <laughs> That's another aspect of this. Um, uh, so she she convinces the, 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 the bureaucracy at the madhouse to, to release Jeffrey Combs into her care where they can return back to the house with a resonator 
and see if what he was saying is actually true. And that's, that's the, that's the setup for the whole thing. And, um, Surprise, surprise, because we've also, we, we saw this at the beginning, it is completely true. And in fact, the, the Dr. Pretorius, the main guy, the guy who got his head bit off, the, the, the guy they suspected Jeffrey Combs of murdering, has in fact uh, merged with some sort of like higher Lovecraftian old elder god consciousness. And there, there's sort of a... There's a there's an angle to this that I don't think I kind of realized before that maybe if he because it because when he shows up again there's this you get a sense he basically sp speaks about how he's like he's been freed from the limitations of his own body, Doctor Pretorius, um, and has the ability to like, manifest whatever he wants uh, and just trash it if he wants like it's it's fascinating, yeah. So idea of, like like body horror as playtime yeah yeah very like gooey grotesque monster shit uh great low budget effects the stuff is amazing i i i love i love the like it's all physical and just goopy and gooey and slimy it's amazing uh but but there's a sense that that you get that i have now that like Oh, if he's really this like crazy expanded consciousness that he might be manipulating things at a much higher level, right? That maybe he's even driving her to him to then bring them back. Like there's a, there's a, there's another level of this that's, that I didn't realize before that's, that's potentially there that is even weirder. Uh, yeah, that's, I think the, the whole thing kind of has this undertone of like uh, always use a magic circle when doing the weird shit kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also, it's also this warning that uh, there's a way to look at this. There's a warning that like, if you're going to, if you're going to from a magically operative position, if you're going to go to the spirit world, the materialist scientific mindset might not be the way to go about it. <laughs> That's another way to look at this. Like, if you're going to touch on these things, there's a process, and it ain't building a giant pitchfork or tuning fork. Um, I something the other day that was like, summon a go go at a spirit. Nah. Uh, have conversations with a questionably sentient amoral AI. <laughs> I'm like, <"Thumbs> up. <laughs> yeah. Kids these days. Um but so so that being said, so she she gets Jeffrey Combs out of the hospital and the police also assign them like a bodyguard or a a warden who's this like giant uh giant black dude uh who i think was is one of the actors from dawn of the dead i think it's the same i forget his name but it's i think it's the same actor I really liked that guy in this movie whoever he is i liked him a lot <laughs> yeah he was great he's the he's the, he, he's uh he, he 
It represents kind of a, a horror archetype of that era, which was the uh, no bullshit black dude voice of reason. Who dies first. Yes. <laughs> um, Classic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but so they do, they go back to the house they repair the resonator, they flip it back on, and that's when Pretorius shows back up. And it's really, he shows up as like, he shows up naked, covered in goo. And uh, he's basically like, touch me. I, I, I forget what he said, touch me. He, he, he compels Jeffrey Coombs to come over and like put his hand on him. And when he does, his like flesh is like Play-Doh. And it just leaves this imprint on his shoulder. <laughs> and at that point it's like he, his face turns into this like he rips his skin off and he's like this weird like almost muscular like demonic face and then it just starts melting and his head pops off these giant limbs emerge out of the hole of his neck and at that point they Jeffrey Combs shuts down the machine and was like is like in the best line ever he's like well that was quite enough of that <laughs> <laughs> what what was the uh I think it's really interesting the guys what was the guys the the original old scientist guy that uses Petorius? Petorius, yeah. I I think it's interesting that he's like this um hypersexual uh dungeon uh yeah. who turns into like a hypercosmic um predatory sex machine and yeah. His name is basically Pederas. <laughs> and that he's, is, he's not in the Lovecraft version at all. Yeah, no, that, that is very much a, a Stuart Gordon Brian Yosno invention. Uh, joint. Joint. Yeah, they. So, yeah, he's this, he's this sadomasochist. You discover that he's like the sadomasochist. Because when they return to the house, uh, the cop runs across this the sex dungeon that was, and he plays this video, uh, which is also a funny thing that like you you would go into a sex dungeon, the first thing you do is press play on a TV and a VCR. <laughs> it's a bold move, um, uh, and it's it's playing this recording of Pretorius like beating this woman. Uh, in, in a in a kink play thing, but it's implied that it's not entirely cons- like he's not. He, I don't know if it's. Uh, it's implied that he goes too far with it. He's always going too far with it. That kind of comes with the story. And then there, it's interesting because there's another part later on. I'm pretty sure he's a politician. <laughs> there's a there's a part later on where. Um, because they shut the machine down, but then it keeps uh, it keeps popping on on its own, or it keeps uh, it keeps luring, uh, particularly Barbara Crampton, back to, to flip it on. Like it 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 creates this this euphoric feeling. Uh, it's part of the stimulation. Is in addition to seeing this other world that's like that shares ours. Is that it it, cr- it creates this like deep. Uh, 
erotic sensation as well. It's like being on MDMA as well as like seeing the other this other world. It's like my so, wife with a salt lamp, bro. What was that? My wife with a salt lamp, bro. <laughs> um. Yeah. So so they shut it off, but then Barbara Crampton is like almost immediately becomes addicted to it and wants to wants to keep going with the experiments which again is is like is that just her is that also this manipulation of this guy who's become this like cosmic creature that's multi-dimensional it was just like beyond killer uh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh oh, what was I where was I going with this? Uh oh, but but so so they keep they keep fucking with a machine and they'll shut it off or they'll rip the cords out and then it'll kind of repair itself. Because I think each time each each time it turns on, it's like it's like Pretorius in his new form becomes more and more merged into our world. And so it's becoming more and more able to manipulate things from the other side. And there's a scene later on where they, where he's getting confronted by Jeffrey Combs and Jeffrey Combs starts to bring up his impotence that in fact, like Dr. Pretorius, the reason he was so sadomasochistic is because he couldn't actually perform sexually. Mm-hmm. So it's it's coming out in this this dark, really dark fucked up way. That's the big and reveal. This is just another level. Even though he's become this giant cosmic being, it's just he's still playing off these same problems. He he hasn't transformed to become better. It's just that he's lent more power to his fucked up dark nature. And again, this brings me back to like you know stories of Goetia, where it's like always have in mind to happen what you want to accomplish and don't ever deviate from that because they're gonna throw up all these options and try and throw you off the track and like this is just like if you approach that materialist scientifically and you just all of a sudden had some creatures from another place and you didn't have a goal Mm. they're just they're just looking straight through you, seeing all your weaknesses and all of your your you know your complexes and your psychoses if you have them. And all they have to do is just like look at that and then offer you the thing that that speaks to it, and then boom, like oh yeah, I'm fucking merge with you so I can eat people's minds because it's a better way to have sex. <laughs> Seems good. <laughs> I love I love what he becomes like Pretorius shows up as this like walking massive fleshy lump <laughs> and oh, he's man. got yeah go ahead oh no I just I'm just remembering my favorite part but we're not there yet oh and it, yeah he's he's this giant messy lump and then his at his head there's like this angler fish protrusion that's like wiggling around and uh and after a certain amount of exposure uh the same thing happens to jeffrey combs like basically the process of of the resonator evolves your pineal gland to to such a degree that it literally pops out of your forehead 
Yeah, it grows. Yeah. It's like a benefic little tapeworm in the brain. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's quite benefic. Because... Uh, oh, I don't think it's arguable. Because I, I, I don't know. I think that's just... Uh, it's like it, he said what the, the dude says it just wakes it up because it was asleep uh -huh. so it makes you almost feel like is this like you know the first humans this was yeah. supposed to be and over years we atrophied and, and they're all all our pineal glands are sleeping and then all the evil shit was just from, from being the resonator being on right because he still had his pineal gland even when the resonator was off and he could see yeah. stuff that was beautiful, but he didn't like lose his. Sh well, I guess yeah, I guess it was the exposure to the thing I think that made him lose his shit, and not the actual awakening. I feel like the awakening itself was just some kind of weird side thing. Well, I mean that's my interpretation. Uh, that's yeah. What well, yeah, that's really interesting because, uh, because they they with this process of like them constantly shutting the resonator off and then pulling the plug on it and then it being manipulated from beyond from beyond uh <laughs> eventually uh eventually the cop gets killed uh barbara crampton's doctor character almost gets raped or eaten or no or eaten and devoured kind of all the same thing by dr pretorius what's the difference and, yeah i don't think there is a difference In at that level yeah, and, and then uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs' character ends up like basically in a coma, like with all his hair like dissolved off his body, and then this weird anglerfish pineal gland like popping out of his forehead. And at that point, uh, they end up back at the asylum that that Barbara Crampton had taken Jeffrey Combs out of, and now they're they're all like. You're insane as well. I don't know what's going on, but all of you people, you, you have become the insane one, and now we we have to figure out some new way to help this poor guy with this with this weird wound on his forehead. Oh yeah, and it's at that. Yeah, and but he has like they both have like burns all over their bodies because, right? That happened already, right? Yeah, yeah, because they they they, they keep getting attacked by these creatures. There's like there's like the swarm of like beans or something. Yeah, and I, I thought that was absolutely brilliant because it was it was just little like beads of styrofoam with yeah. fans positioned just right so that it swirled around and stuck to them and like and with the lighting and the music and like just it actually was really easy to suspend disbelief and like the skin was getting redder as it happened. And yeah. It was, I thought that was amazing. I was like, this is just fucking styrofoam lighting and fans. And I bought it like in the moment. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's, that's Stuart Gordian having a theater background and yeah, and that and that kind of feeds into the whole thing. Like that is such a that is such a low budget, simple thing that manages to have this impact because of how it's treated in the film. Uh, 
yeah this is it's this crazy like it looks like a swarm of flies even though yeah the, you have there is this tension between you also knowing yes it's just black styrofoam beads but the way they're treating it and the way the actors are reacting it brings a weight to it um uh and they to try to save them the the cop like uh tries to distract it by light I don't know how they figured this out. This was sort of like this weird leap of logic that, that does happen. Um, he distracts it with like a flashlight to get to lead the, the swarm away from them, from Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Coombs who are getting devoured by, by them. And he throws the flashlight away and the flashlight ends up trained on him and then he gets swarmed. And like, man, it, it <laughs> they do him dirty. He, he, he ends up as this like, half dissolved mess on the floor <laughs> yeah it also looks beautiful like it's it's really good special effects work i i mean yeah. it doesn't it doesn't look real it looks better than real it looks uh it looks like a piece of like an art installation you know yeah yeah it's it's it it, it is fake in the right way yes yeah um, but due to this and due to the cop dying, they get, they're taken back to the mental institution and, uh, which is run by this like stone cold mean lady who, who does not like Barbara Crampton, does not approve of her methodology and is feel, feels like she's been proven right because Barbara Crampton has gotten someone killed and is completely put this other dude in a coma so she's like uh so she's now under the care of this of this cruel woman who's like can't wait to give her shock treatment <laughs> oh and that's the other thing barbara crampton's motivation as a doctor is that her father died in a mental mental institution was a schizophrenic and died as a schizophrenic. And so that's that's her compulsion and her drive to try to find cures. And then so so you learn that's why she's so part of why she's so willing to go so far uh, with these crazy experiments. So I think it's a mix of her drive with possibly this manipulation from the from the other side by Dr. Pretorius. But anyway, while they're in the while they're back in the in an insane asylum, uh, Jeffrey Combs' little anglerfish pineal gland pops out, and yeah, he can see psychedelic colors, and he's it's like he's like drawn into this room where he sees this really bright color in a bucket, and he goes and opens the bucket up, and. Uh, and the warden lady who was examining him, like, comes back to find him gone and tracks him down and finds him eating a brain out of a bucket. <laughs> which, which is there somehow somebody, why are there brains in buckets? I mean, I don't know. You gotta eat. You gotta eat. But then also, she's so very calm about him having... I've been sitting there munching a brain. <laughs> I thought that and was she, 
it felt felt to me like that was more believable than than when someone screamed because she was like she saw that this was a situation where like she had to approach cautiously yeah She's like, now okay do you wanna do you wanna come with me yeah <laughs> but then he notices that he he like snaps out of it and he's like oh i'm 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 eating a brain fuck it <laughs> yeah what the hell is happening to me sucks but, but then uh but as she's leading him away he 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 falls right back into it because his his pineal <laughs> gland like looks at her and sees the brain within her head <laughs> <laughs> and then he like attacks her and like sucks i guess sucks her brain out through her eyes <laughs> yeah yeah he sucks her eye out and then spits it on the floor does it on... i thought that was great there's yeah he around sucking out eyeballs and, and then and then spit them on the ground and then sucking out brains for a little while <laughs> yeah he's he, a drunk guy uh who's like everybody thinks he's hallucinating the other the other ambulance driver like thinks he's hallucinating but really he did see the guy get his eye and brain sucked out <laughs> Uh, oh, so so her him her him eating the doctor the warden lady's brain distracts the uh, so the, they're about to do shock therapy on, on Barbara Crampton's character, uh, but there's the guy who's so eager to perform shock therapy he's like he's like really into it. Uh, there's a, a an intercom message comes because they found the warden's warden lady's body and it distracts him long enough that Barbara Crampton can like smack him in the head with the lamp and escape. And she immediately like runs out of the hospital, uh, steals an ambulance and drives off. And uh, Jeffrey Combs is like, gets in pursuit of her as well. I mean, he steals an ambulance as well. I don't remember. I know they both leave and they're both heading back towards the house with the resonator. Uh, what was that? I think he steals the ambulance. He steals the ambulance. I, I guess she takes a car. I don't know exactly. But she um, she goes back to the house and she shows up. This is my. This is another like wonderful leap of logic. She shows up with a, a timed bomb yeah yeah i i think that's i mean that's pretty standard for doctors to learn though like that's i think that's like fifth year medical school stuff it's before you start doing internships but it's or, um or you know clocking hours and whatnot but it's it's in there it's just <laughs> easily forget about because it's like when are you going to use it <laughs> it's it's so it's such a it's such a ridiculous leap of logic that that where did she get this that she know like what what the fuck but whatever you just go with it it's perfect <laughs> um, so she she shows she goes back to it and she's she plants it on the resonator and she's planning to blow it up and just to see she sets the bomb hold on let me 
let's wait for the motorcycle. Okay. Just as she sets the bomb, uh, suddenly the, the power comes back on. I think the I think the cords that have been stripped merge back in with the resonator and then it flips back on and, and once again Pretorius is back. Which is all all because she just decided not to like when she sprayed it down earlier with the the uh, fire extinguisher and froze it, right? And then it thaws out a little bit and he came back and then she's like, no, and she did it again. And she used like all the rest of it. And then yeah. she just chose not to smash it then so the movie could keep going. <laughs> that was like, that was her, that was her, the Eagles can fly the ring to mortar moment. <laughs> If only, if only, if only. Um, so yeah, so now she's back in, in this nightmare situation because she just left it earlier to sit there. Yeah. Well, well, I actually, I think, I think she sets the bomb and she goes to leave. And then at that point, that's when Jeffrey Combs shows back up. And he's, he, he's, his pituitary gland is out and he's totally under the influence of it and possibly Pretorius as well. And he, he sort of, grabs her and takes her to the, the sex dungeon and begins to chain her up uh, yeah. and is about to like attack her and eat her brain too but there's enough of a distraction that she bites the pineal gland and rips it off of him <laughs> yeah. and at that point he's no longer it feels like he's no longer under the influence of both whatever the whatever the dimension is that the that the resonator taps into, and possibly Pretorius as well. Um, yeah, the pineal gland was a kind of evil thing because it did kind of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? So right after that happens, Pretorius shows up in that room with them, and uh, I th- I think. Like Jeffrey Combs, like runs runs out and and is like leading him away, leading Pretorius away from her. And at that point, he goes through another transformation and becomes this like winged, wasp-headed monster thing that then flies after Jeffrey Combs and and like attacks him and sucks his head off, revealing to revealing to you how Pretorius died in the beginning because it was clearly the same thing that attacked him and swallowed his, his head. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, gasp, um, gasp moment. <laughs> uh, and so you think that Jeffrey Combs is dead and uh, Barbara Crampton, uh, it chases Barbara Crampton up back towards back towards the, the attic where the resonator is. And he's about to, the whole time the bomb is counting down and it's getting lower and lower. It's getting down to a minute or something. And Pretorius has cornered her. And at that point, uh, like, I forget if it's like a hand emerges out of, out of Pretorius's body or if like he starts to like warp and, and then like mutate. But basically Jeffrey Combs then rips out of Pretorius's body and emerges and is born from it is basically like run 
and then is just swallowed back up and it and the whole thing becomes this like battle within Pretorius's own rubbery like chewing gum Lovecraftian horror body and then like diverging and ended up as like basically just like skull-faced worms snapping at each other <laughs> now that that was my favorite scene by far and that was that was fucking art bro it was amazing like the when he popped out of his mouth to be like for that like i'll come back for you moment that you'll <laughs> yeah but it was it was popping out of like the head of this other guy because now you're part of the same other thing that you never see like it was just great and then yeah, yeah like he- entire heads just poking out and like she didn't i, I got the I, I was like how did you know watching it thinking like how did she doesn't know if those are gonna be the good guy or not like, uh, yeah like, it was just this moment of like it's all just flesh and who the fuck knows <laughs> like it's 3 a.m. At, at like a rave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's this wide shot because because before she gets she's trying to escape, but Pretorius has grabbed her and is dragging her towards him. And that's that's when Jeffrey Combs like pops out of Pretorius's own body. And then they just there's this wide shot of her like trying to struggle free. And in the background is just this like crazy, like rubbery mass, like jerking back and forth. And that's what the emergent the the like both these like skull faced worms emerge out of and Jeffrey Combs is like bites the hand that's like gripping her and then and manages to free her so that so that she can like run and just as the bomb counts down to like zero and you you see the two worm like skull faced worm heads like snapping back at each other she leaps out the window and the attic blows up and uh and it causes such a commotion that like all the neighbors from around come and gather while Barbara Crampton is like laying on the, on the, on the earth with like this broken knee from having fallen from like three stories or something. And it just ends with her maniacally laughing because clearly this has broken her in a very deep, deep way. (laughs) It almost gave me the feeling that, it corrupted her permanently with that same sort of um, like lust for, for violence and, and sex. Uh, like she, she still had it in her. It was like this, she's la- she's like crying from the horror of it, but then like the memories come back and she's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Every time she felt really alive, kid. <laughs> Your father oh. doesn't know. Yeah, but I, 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 it's like I, I don't even know if like describing the plot is doing this thing justice. It just is such a wonderful, amazing, fun movie. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I give it a solid three point five Cronenbergs. It is very Cronenbergian for sure. The, the rating system will change for every episode. Like a gear, I gave a gear a, a five out of five Herzogs. <laughs> that is definitely peak Herzog for sure. Um, 
yeah, I think that the whole uh, headless thing is really interesting um, because, that, like, that the headless right for anybody who doesn't know is uh, <clears throat> it's also called the pointless right. Yeah, something of the pointless invocation of the pointless. Um, well, it's yeah, sometimes called that, but uh, it's in my experience, what it essentially does is remove the imposition of too many uh, like logical heady thoughts so that there's like a lot more ease of access to this lower register of uh, sort of a direct experience of things. Um, something you can, you can achieve by many means. Um, you know, there's, that's kind of like the basis of anything called shamanish uh, mm-hmm. is anything that alters the consciousness to a, a place where spirit contact and ceremony can take place but uh but it almost has like um <clears throat> it's it was originally I, th- I think meant as an exorcism so there's but but it's almost an exorcism through the means of identifying yourself with a god so you you start off and you're um you're invoking it you're invoking the god and then you switch at one point and you begin to identify yourself as the god and through that you then have authority over all the other spirits in the world so there's there's through that you're exercising anything that might have had power over you before but what i've found is for myself is that the <laughs> the result is usually that i i don't have as much add adhd brain um and like for a few days afterwards like I've, it's never been like a huge initiatory experience for me i know for some people it is and some people it just doesn't resonate at all but for me there's this uh becoming aware that thoughts don't actually take place in the head that they take place as something else altogether but that the the brain does the more rational sort of um the, the mathematics of logic like the nuts and bolts of like if then stuff but there's like a direct experience thing that sort of comes from down below and i feel like that that kind of with, you know what they say about there being a gut brain and how that there's there's all these neurons like this these neural pathways attached to your stomach and to your gut um so that if your your gut flora isn't correct I, I genuinely think that probably has some bearing on how connected your body, your your embodied, like conscious manifest incarnate self can be in touch with spirit because mm-hmm. there's this like you have to connect from the from the point of you are a spirit connecting with other spirits um, in order to communicate unless you're using divination or some some third party kind of tool. But, uh, well, it's no. Go ahead. No, I, I forgot. What I was going to say I was relieved you were interrupted. Oh, okay. Um, what's well, it's interesting to me because like the whole Taoist standing meditation, the the whole thing is you you keep placing your con- the idea is to place your consciousness in an area of the body called the Dantian, which is uh, it's almost like the bowl of the pelvis. It's it's like in the abdomen. And the idea is to constant to move your awareness down there until it until it kind of settles, right? And in a sense, that's that's another way of becoming headless. 
and um, and it, it opens up a, a lot of a lot of questions, which is for me like has this always been a classical problem of people getting stuck in their head? You know, right? So, uh, and uh, and the headless right and and kind of what whether it knows it or not from beyond is suggesting, although in a darker way, is that the head is almost like this uh, this plug that's keeping you from other other realities in a way, or is that uh, is that that's that's a container. And then if you can manage to like come out of that, the world will open up in a no, in another way. That's an interesting uh, way of looking at it. My, um, my personal explanation to myself is that like the, the, the brain acts like as uh, uh, it's there for for like saying like like eyeballing or or counting things like doing math um thinking rational things how to uh, mitigate um like resolving uh, conflict things like that Th- things you have to like actually reason out uh and and use logical thought but what i think the issue is is that without that grounding um of the other being like at least active in conjunction with that ability to be logical uh what happens is yeah you you just kind of forget that the rest is there and then i think we're we're always being we're kind of like radio transmitter that's kind of a bad way of thinking of it actually almost more like fiber optic cables, but like every t- tiny little strand is a spirit or a consciousness or something like the, the food that you eat are all beings. They're all, you know, feeding through you, um, your ancestors and um, any spirits on your team that you don't know about that are on, you know, whose names are long forgotten, even like there's, there's all these, uh, all these things running through us at any given time. And I think when we get stuck in the higher registers and the logical or rational mind, it's easier for our imbalances and our uh, distractions to lend us to getting other spirits that aren't so benefic or helpful getting stuck to us and feeding through like, like, so when you develop like a bad habit, it is in my belief, like that is absolutely, you are always tapping into a spirit that's like not helpful if it's a habit that's harming your life. Right, the, the the idea itself of the thing you're doing or the pattern of returning to this thing, it's you know maybe an addiction to attend or to uh, to intensity or attention or something like. But it's there's a spirit to that. Like I, I don't know what it, what's name is, but there's something there that's um, that idea is a person in and of itself in an animus framework. So <clears throat> I think when you have that grounded out bottom part active too you can notice better when like the top part isn't functioning right. And then you can go do a cleansing or say some prayers or call in the right spirits to, to fill up, you know, so that you have, you're calling in the good and filling up that space with, with the, the helpful ones. And there's no room for anything else, but like 
But if you don't have that ground wire, like how are you going to know? You're, if you're using strictly logic and, and rationale to, and, and no instinct and no direct experience or, or, or gut feeling to, to navigate your life, if something is messing with your logic, you have no way of knowing unless, unless you have the direct experience of like the, this feels wrong or this feels like there's some kind of conflict between what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. So I have to go like investigate further. Um, and then you just continue on that way. And yeah. it might be actually part of what's behind like the push for unhealthy foods across the world. Uh, I know like it is just a natural uh, byproduct of capitalism, but at the same time, I feel like whatever spirit is behind that wants our guts to die and doesn't want us to eat fermented foods and, uh, mm. you know, have those kinds of instincts about us. I think there, there are definitely like forces that want us to just be, become dumb, shut mm. down. Whether they be human or otherwise working through humans, I don't know, but definitely things. Like if the good spirits are, are there, then there are ones that definitely want destruction or want failure as well. There's a, um, that's, that's interesting what you're saying about, uh, I remember running across this book. I didn't get it, but, but I, I think I read like the first couple of paragraphs or something and it, it caught my eye because it, I think the title was basically something like you don't have a head, <laughs> right? You have no head. And, uh, it was like a meditation or or mysticism book and the, and this is something that i don't think that's is obvious but you don't really confront it that much and he was like you as you experience the world you don't actually have a head like you can see your body you can't see your head i can so see your my head ears. i can see what? my ears turn my head really fast you can see your what my ears, if I turn like really fast, <laughs> like it's so like what? Kurt's um, trying, just so you guys know. I I just took them off my head and like looked at them. I have a potato head, so I I I can actually disassemble and look. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I thought that was like really fascinating because he's like unless you see a mirror, I mean, you can touch your head, but as you go day to day and experience it, it's the one thing that you do not see that never comes into your vision. I've thought about that before, about living, uh, living in a world that isn't full of our inventions and having the only time that you ever see your own face be in water. Huh. Like there's this, like imagine that that feeling of like the only thing that's ever shown me what I look like is water and how that puts this interesting significance on that substance if that's all there is is just like rocks and fire and dirt and air is it's like water's the one that shows me who I am uh, that's interesting to me well it's also well that's also fascinating because that that was that's like one of the original versions of spirit communication, right? Is that you get a bowl full of water. 
right. And one of the oldest, I think it's one of the oldest grimoires, isn't it? The Hygromantea. It's basically supposedly, I think. Like there's there's a huge water uh, basin in it, and there's I I don't know exactly, but I know it's like a big part of it. Is yeah, that? I that no, that's that's really fascinating to bring that up. I that, I know I know there is in Solomon's Temple, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm not. I, I thought it was also in the Agramentea, but they had like a miniature version of it. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't actually have it. I should probably not talk out of my ass. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. People are going to listen. <laughs> Well, that, that's that's really fascinating to think about because I have thought about that. Like, well, there was a time when we didn't have mirrors, but then I, I didn't think about like, yeah, the only time you see yourself is in water, is in the reflections of water. And maybe occasionally polished stone. That's probably it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do yeah. you, what do you think of like the connection between headlessness and like John the Baptist? <clears throat> I think it's really uh, interesting. I think a lot of people, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of saints who've been beheaded. Cyprian and Justina, for instance, also qualify as the headless current for that reason. Um, which I think is interesting. Uh, I guess really if that is like mythopoetically woven into the fabric of their story, then, then I think that's part of it. Probably. <clears throat> I don't think that spirit stories happen by accident. Uh, even <laughs> even um, the golden legend, which man, if I really need to get a copy of, I can't believe I don't have a copy of the golden legend, but at one time this, this book was, you know, it's a book of saints and they're they're crazy ass. I have a copy. Okay. Now, well, yeah. for the it's like for a listen, book of, yeah, no, 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 I know. It's it's a book of saints and uh, they're crazy ass stories, like they're they're hagiographies, but they're all they're all you know not literally true. They're like Lord of the Rings style fantasy adventures, a lot of them, but uh, you know one offs, and most of them end in martyrdom. But like, uh, at one time it it was outselling the Bible like for, for like, I think it was like a decade. It outsold the Bible. And it may, may, may have even been longer. I don't know. But I know that there was this like chunk of time where people cared more about those stories. And, and I don't think that like the crazy shit that happens in them is an accident. I think that I don't think that you actually like, like maybe nowadays, I don't, I don't know why this is, but like, I feel like like some asshole can write on their blog something stupid about a spirit. And I don't think that makes it true. But I think that when you look back through history, for some reason, just about anything you see written about a spirit, like you can somehow pull that into a practice. Um, and I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Was there like a cutoff point where it's like, no, no, no. Everything before television is canonical. And after, you know, I don't, I don't know because yeah, but it's, it's really interesting. Like what it is that, fun to think about what what determines how 
like what gets recorded in the in the public consciousness and and what was intended by the spirit to be part of their story oh uh, i see what you're saying and like yeah where those lines are are drawn or if they are <clears throat> because like you could you know you could go and write something stupid about a god that isn't true and post it and they're not going to come stop you but a hundred years from now no one's going to remember that blog post unless the spirit really wanted them to uh yeah what i've been reading this series of books by this guy um he's a greek author what's his name I can't, I can't find it. I'll have to look it up. But he, he's, he's done this whole pursuit of, because he, he grew up as a Greek Orthodox. He grew up with the Greek Orthodox religion, but became a, uh, a sociologist and an academic and sort of like tossed his whole religion to the side. And then later on in life, he's like, you know, we keep turning to the East for our, for a mysticism, why is it missing from Western esoteric, well, specifically Christian currents? We're like, talking about we're talking about Peter Kingsley. No, it's not Peter Kingsley. Um, okay. here, I'm gonna let's see. I mean, he's not Greek, but he wrote about you know. Folk, uh, Fosia. I don't know. If his, it's a- his his name is Kyriakos C. Markidis, and uh, he he's got a ser- he's wrote a series of books, and it started with this one called the Magus of Stravolus, which is Stravolus is an as uh, a Greek island, I believe, um, which is just this crazy book about him meeting this like Christian mystic healer dude who can do all these like really crazy miraculous things, and he witnesses them, them directly. And that sort of opens him up to, well, is there other stuff going on? And so he, start, he starts to pursue, and it turns out in Greek Orthodox, in the Greek Orthodox religion, they've, they never tossed aside the mysticism like they did in Catholicism. Mm. Like it's still alive. And there's this island called Mount Athos, which is, uh, it's been, it's been, it was granted like all the way back in the Byzantine era a uh, designation as like a uh, independent state within originally Byzantium, but then it, it's been maintained it even through Greece. Like it's, it's like a Greek p- protectorate, but it's still, it has its own laws and beliefs. And it's, it's this, the whole thing is a giant monastery uh, that is riddled with like these Greek Orthodox hermits and monks. And apparently there's like crazy, miraculous shit that still happens there and like they yeah like uh people like some of the monks like being in two places at once uh then like levitating and turning into light like all kinds of really crazy shit and it's a and this guy it's a he recounts some of these stories in these books um I don't, I don't forget where I was. Oh, basically, the, like, okay, so this thing is 
so this thing is still alive. It's just the 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 what was once a wider river has just gotten narrower and narrower and narrower, and it's happening in this very small particular place, apparently. Um, well, that's uh, that's interesting because, uh, okay, it is, but but it isn't because yeah, Catholicism threw away the mysticism and the mysticism said fuck you we're we're here to stay you're not getting rid of the rosary or mary worship or saints like you're, you're not getting rid of any of this shit sorry i know you had other plans but and then and then there's the enlightenment and then the echo of that turns protestants and you know and they that's that's an interest that's a whole rabbit hole for me because like i think removing the the this is the blood and the flesh from the the sacrament removing the literal transmission turned it into this like separated from self idea mm. it's it's always going to be a symbol which is an abstraction right like an emblem is something that resonates because it's something true and inherent in the world like how you get the world tree everywhere in the world, like in all these different cultures or whatever, and how you get um, what else? There's there's uh, like the serpent, meaning you know wisdom, um, and kind of danger at the same time, uh, and transformation because of this. Like there's these inherent qualities thing that um, that suggest what they are, and that's emblematic. But symbolism is culturally based. Symbolism comes from like like the I, I, <clears throat> my Catholicism took off in places where they didn't have Christianity like that that kind of Christianity because it's it made sense to the animist mindset of the people who already lived in places where where Christianity showed up like oh eating the flesh and blood of a god who's offering it to me that makes sense I can I can grok that but then the idea of like well, it's not actually the blood, but it, but it represents it. So, <clears throat> so then, you know, God, God will appreciate this. And it's like, but so it's not actually anything. It's just, mm. it removes the magic from it. And so it, it takes the piss out of it. And the fact that, the fact that like most of the countries that turn Protestant are now like mostly atheist is, except for America, which found its own, Again, the the mysticism erupted in America in its own way in the states. Yeah. Um, in these new weirder snake handling, fucking venom drinking, uh, tongue speaking, amazing ways. Uh, but but Protestant, it was like to me that's the the op of the Enlightenment and and materialism like echoing and then crippling spirituality and everywhere that was protestant it's just like most for the most part it's just like boom there's no magic anymore everybody just like if they go to church they don't necessarily really believe like there there are atheist priests in denmark that's fucked up that's weird yeah it's just a government job you just you do funerals and weddings and baptisms and you do a sermon every week but whatever it's a job what is, what does anyone get out of that? 
I can't say that the parishioners necessarily do get anything out of it, but. But I mean, even as a, even acting as a priest, what is the point? Benefits. It's a great job. It's like, uh, like, like the queen, I think her signature is on the paychecks for the priests in this country. Cause it's a, it's the church of the queen. Well, that, that makes it so cynical. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty easy going though. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole like state of each other's business, let live and let live kind of thing, which is generally pretty cool, but has its drawbacks as well. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't judge too harshly. That's just weird to me. I feel like but I, got I mean, I mean the, the the truth is, is probably there's probably tons of those out there, mm-hmm. even acting in like evangelical circles in fact probably a lot of evangelical circles are run by people who don't actually believe shit right right yeah um yeah i I don't think there are too many people there statistically speaking like if we had a way to check these numbers that are evil like that are that are just like doing shitty uh transgressive cruel things and believe that there's like a higher power mm. that's good yeah. right that's the the contrast there it, it's almost like i mean maybe they think there might be and they're tempting it to prove itself or maybe maybe there's a a lack of belief altogether but generally speaking i think if you actually believe there's there's some kind of like god or or some kind of judgment system after death that you're you're going to be a little bit dissuaded from being like, you know, a torture monster. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And, and actually, I'd, you know, I'd be interested in hearing about if there are cases <laughs> that defy this logic because uh, anomalies are always interesting. I feel like I took us like and just drove fucking right off the rails with this whole conversation. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm going off road. Uh, uh, no, I, I feel like it, it kind of sprung out of the whole because I asked about what you think about John the Baptist and the headlessness. Oh yeah, and, and I it, never, I just kind of smeared off from there. I, I think, uh, I think it's really cool with uh, with John the Baptist that uh, that that notion, but I also really love the whole like there were sects of christians that believe that he was actually jesus because he's the one that called the spirit down into christ like so mm-hmm. if he can command christ then he's actually more powerful there was this like anime logic to it uh, <laughs> there and yeah i thought i think that's amazing i just wanted to throw that out there well i was gonna i was also thinking about the you know the phrase they, they they lost their head, which is generally about going crazy, mm. and then it feels like there's like a there's like a deeper truth to that, and that um like in relation to the to the headless right is that that's an act of willfully choosing, or even the the. Taoist practice of like sinking your awareness down further into your body that's an act of like decidingly deciding to engage 
with the loss of a head, whereas the other one is like something happens by accident and you know suddenly you're exposed to things that you're not ready for. Yeah. Yeah, it suddenly renders your head as a um, futile or like less than sufficient tool for the job. So you've, you've lost your head. Head, yeah. Which is, you know, which is kind of what's happening in in, uh, in from beyond that there there there's this device that is like opening them up to this to this thing that is like pushing them into a place that none of them are ready for. It's literally just social media. <laughs> it's just turning everyone into these fucking disgusting monsters. <laughs> this, this pink gelatinous flesh thing Except that's absorbing everyone. Instead of like a worm pineal gland, there's just a crater where it used to be. <laughs> and occasionally someone pops up within the mass and starts and turns into a skull-faced worm to bite at its mass. <laughs> so if we're going with this kind of metaphysics, then dude being hungry for more brains, it's like he almost... Like, does he want to eat the, the complexity or the confusion or both? Or what is, like, that's interesting. Why does, it, why does he want the brains? I mean, I know they probably didn't think it through this much, but I like to just, like, go there with things and really, like, like why did he, why did he want the brains? Maybe, maybe well, the complexity of thought is, is tasty or it, it, I don't know. Well, there, there's, a, there's, there's a line, I forget what, exactly what the dialogue is, but he, he basically, Pretorius basically says that he, like, he wants to devour the whole world. He wants to make everyone a part of him. Oh, so it was like part of the sex thing that is, I guess, eating it is how he's, he's, he's absorbing their minds, I guess. Yeah, that's part of it, which also totally fits with what you're talking about, with like social media being this, like, the amorphous bubblegum flesh monster that is just sucking everyone's brain into it and wants yeah. to assume everyone into its reality yeah it's, it's just yeah it's it's integrating them as and subsuming them into its its flesh <laughs> it, it's coding it's so weird and like it might destroy you and block you from your account but you can just like start a new email and and make a new twitter account it's not a big deal like like he was manifesting bodies and then destroying them like it's the same. <laughs> it's the same. You know, I did not expect this to 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 go here, but this is this is like the perfect fucking metaphor. <laughs> yeah, like bloodthirsty, depraved, sex fiending. Uh, you know, violence, porn, starving monsters. That's just hitting your dopamine. Yeah. Over and, and over again. Adrenaline. Yeah. I wonder if, if you get hit with adrenaline and dopamine at the same time consistently enough, if they just will always activate together or if like you, it's the association is enough to trigger the other one after a certain amount of time. I think I think that's probably 
Well, it's definitely a scary thought. <laughs> well, well, the, there's a there's a saying in like the in neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity research, which is that um, neurons that fire together wire together. That's cute. So, so basic. So I think yeah, that would be the case if if you're experience, experiencing both of those at the same time constantly that at some point one will just trigger the other at the same time. Like your body only understands it as the simultaneity and not necessarily, then you'd have to work to like untangle them. See, okay, that's really, what that just triggered is my memory of doing the <clears throat> Damo Mitchell uh, anchoring the breath exercise on YouTube the other day. And how it's like, start off by focusing on just your nostrils and then your nostrils and then your sinuses together. Mm. And then you do like just your throat and then all three of them together. And then just your, your like chest. And, and it's this process of sinking from the outside in the whole like meat sock that takes in air. Mm. And you, like it's a process of uh, gently releasing intentions that you have as to like how to hold yourself and how to breathe. And that shit that's like the untangling process like when, when you start to and i i noticed like i'm as i did it i'm like oh that's from this oh that's from that like i hold oh. my i hold myself that way because i had pain in my back for this much time but the pain's been gone and i still like myself a weird way because it was there for long enough that i you know programmed myself so there's these like resting intentions sitting in the muscles and that was, I, I got immediate and profound results from this like incredibly gentle exercise that it, it absolutely blew my mind. Um, and the way he explained it was like, <clears throat> through that process, you start stoking the fire down lower in your energy body um, and how you're not supposed to ever try and push the microcosmic orbit or pull it. You, you just do the breathing and it happens naturally. Like once you get to the right energy levels and all this shit resonates with me a lot, but like the untangling process, I've, I've been, I'm so aware of that. Like I was aware of that when I've done it to myself and in many ways, like when I was a drug addict, there's, there's all kinds of ways you, you have to program yourself in order to function, to be able to like hide your habit from people lie to people and still be able to like get your drugs get to work like all these ways that it's taken like you know years of being away from that shit to to untangle but that like it just seems like something that they should teach you when you're young enough or like when you're old enough to understand like as soon as you're old enough to understand that your internal mechanics are like fucking real and if you tangle yourself up, you have to like really work twice as hard at least to, to undo that damage. And it's just crazy to me that, that you don't, you have to learn that by either never learning that and just suffering the consequences blindly your whole life. Or you go through some traumatic process and you're like forced to, into this world of like, oh, there's, there's more than, than people think there is to the world. And, and that's, that's like the only other real way to get there is like, cause you have to, um, 
because it, it becomes too much and you have to learn how to untangle it and you start searching. That's really amazing that that, that those, that as you're, I have yet to do that one. That one's next on the queue. I, I gotta, gotta do the correct. But it's amazing to me that, that as you went through it, that those, those attachments were right there. Mm -hmm. Like you, like you access them immediately. Um, and you realize that that's, that's where that, it got, that, you know, that's where that got installed. Yeah. Right. And, um, it's, it's also, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole avenue of, of, uh, Western medicine now that's starting to accept this. Like there's that book that there's that book, the body keeps the score. Um, which is that, you know, there's another one called like something about the tiger. I forget the name of that one, but it's this idea that your body is, is, you know, we think of memory again, we stick it in our brain. We assume that it's all, all this, it's all in the brain, but in fact, our body is this, is also this mechanism for, for storing memories. And the act of like really embodying and, and connecting with that allows you to release these traumas. Um, or if not traumas, at least, no, they're usually traumas. It, it allows you to slowly unwind these things. Yeah, it's like the, the sliding scale of trauma. Like there's, there's trauma that you talk about socially where it's mm -hmm. like, and, and in that case, I feel like you should mean something that's truly fucked up. Yeah. Otherwise you're just kind of attention whoring, but like if you're, <clears throat> but in these cases, like in a ritual setting, it's a different scale and trauma can mean <sighs> like you could have your ass beaten and that in your mind, in your memory, you think that's like the most traumatic thing that's happened to you. But when you go into a ritual setting and you find that the thing that's really wrong came from like someone made a comment one time, like an offhanded comment, and you're just like this tiniest little thing fucked my life up for years. Yeah. You have no control over what those things actually are. Like they already happened, but they're, they're always unreasonable. And they're always, they always make you feel stupid and silly. Um, but those in the in that context, like yes, those are definitely those are traumas. There's no other like word for that because it's something that shocked you into altering yourself in a way that was unhealthy. Yeah. Well, it, they're almost like, uh, and th and this is like an inversion of it. They're almost like the the, the grain of sand that becomes the pearl over time. Right. And, and the oyster, right? Like it, it's a really tiny thing, but it just it never gets resolved. So it just sort of gets knotted up and, and gains scope and size. And then at the core of it, it's still like this tiny little thing, but because it never got taken care of, it never got unwound, it just sort of builds up. And um, yeah, that's, that's this really valuable thing about these sort of embodiment practices of discovering those things and releasing them. I often don't know 
it's interesting that you had like memories directly. I often don't know where shit came from. Like mm. I, I'll get I'll get things that like resolve in myself, and I'm like I don't know why that was the way it was. Uh, but I can I can tell a difference night and day between what it was before and what it is now. I don't always, but I think that's something that I think I think I always had sort of a <clears throat> my my memory works in a certain way where it's it's completely contextual. Uh, I think this is an ADHD thing. I'm not sure, but um, like if you asked me, like tell me a story, I would freeze. And I would have no fucking idea. Like I would, I would think that I've never had, I've never lived a story through a story worth telling. Like I would have no idea what to say, but if we start talking and just bullshitting, like many things come up. It's, it's all like this context space. I have to find the right road to get to the place. It's like, I have a memory castle, but I have no control. over. So um, if I'm in the ritual setting and I'm, I mean, you know, an altered state of consciousness at that point and in some kind of trance or something. So if I can get to the root to heal it, usually that contextual, like the feeling of it, usually just like, it's like there's a thread just going straight back to that moment. And it's, um, it's usually pretty easy to pull it in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And my, it's weird because I'm seeing this now in, in ritual context and in, in magic, but before it would always come up with music like i would hear someone would say something in a sentence and if a few of the words together the way they landed would pull up a song that had those few same words together in it in my mind Um, and then i'd have that song stuck in my head for the rest of the day but you know sometimes it happens with uh the shapes of things like almost like um a metaphor or analogy and that's really useful but it's uh it happens it happens less these days because i haven't had any psychedelics in a few years but um, but yeah if i did it would probably be back in full swing um and it's it's useful but it's it's also terrible if you're you know the one trying to start the conversation or if you're if you if you have like i don't know a schedule or try to live like a normal human life It's really funny you mentioned the the whole the whole like tell me a story thing because because I also hate that. My wife will do that to me. Like, tell me a story. And I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, like give me a thing to pull on, on, right? Like you're 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 presenting me a ball with no handles. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Right? It's just like like you said. When she says that to me, there's not even a castle. It's just a barren field with nowhere to go. And I'm like, why, why do you do that? Like, just because I, I don't know. It, it creates this, like. It's a vacuum. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, there's also this, like, fucking entertain me, goddammit. It's kind of almost what it is. <laughs> that's okay so when whenever i hear what are you thinking 
right? The answer yeah. is well, fucking nothing now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that is that is the eraser on my chalkboard. Same. <laughs> Same. But like, if you want to, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm far away. Like, if you if you interrupt like all the time, like if you kind of interrupt, it's like I'm not. I can I can I can listen to maybe one short sentence, maybe two, while holding in my mind the thing that I was still thinking about. If you start talking to me, <laughs> and like if we go into like three sentences, it's dead. And I and I have like this little funeral inside for the idea that I don't ever get to see again. And then I'm like, okay, I got to collect myself, and I have to like turn and focus myself on you and then and then try and remember like recall all the rest and i usually can once i divert all my attention it's like i can remember all the shit that i was just hearing and like put it all together and catch up but if i'm trying to like hold this other thing in the other side i can't i can't do it but it, oh fuck it sucks <laughs> i hate it so much i wish i could just be normal sometimes uh, well, well, the other thing, the other thing to me is like once, because she'll do this to me too, where it's like, well, what are you thinking about right now? And it's like, what I'm actually thinking about is is like the end of such a crazy chain of thoughts and like imaginings that I I'm like I don't know where to begin with this, right? You know, like that's another part of it. So the, so the question like takes that and, like drops me away from it. And then if I do hold on to it, I have to look at it and be like, hey, do I want to share this? Is this the type of thought that like I really think should uh, you should be involved in? <laughs> like, I, have, I think I'm going to need to spend a little bit more time with this thought before I decide to bring in a team. Yeah, exactly. Well, because, you know, there's a part of me that's like, some stuff is not, is just for you. It's not meant to be, like, it might eventually find its way out, but it's not, that might be taking time. It might need to percolate or, like, evolve well, or whatever. On a metaphysical level, I, I completely agree. There's there's something about that question that has annoyed me my entire life from anyone who has ever said it, because it's just, it's like, who the fuck are you? That's my immediate reaction. It's like, what? What do you mean? It's like, it's like we're here, and the whole dynamic is that we think things inside, and then when we go like, this is a thing worth fucking saying out loud, then we do. And this is this is how this game works. This is how this like dynamic is played. And then when someone just interrupts it by like, what's the thing that's inside? that's unedited that you have not decided that you want to share yet. Yeah. It's really weird. Like if they articulated what it was they were saying, I think they would feel weird about it too. But there's, you know, in the context of like with my wife, it's just like, I get that, that you just, you're sitting there and you don't know what to say right now. So you want to connect and that's cool. Yeah. Like, I hear that. But I still will be like, I can't actually answer that. Like, I'm never going to answer that question. Um, you can just say something stupid and random, and I will connect with you. 
because that's yeah. how that works. But. It's almost it's almost like that question becomes the resonator that turns all your thoughts into monsters. Oh my god, that's, that's <laughs> beautiful and true. Yeah, it does. Because then immediately I become like existentially analyzing the whole situation, and I'm just like, "What even is this?" <laughs> communicating at all and then like two minutes later that's gone and everything's fine but like yeah the, <laughs> the vacuum the vacuum lets out things from beyond hmm <laughs> 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 yeah I guess there wasn't a lot of fluoride in that guy's diet. No. Maybe maybe <laughs> the, maybe the resonator shakes it all off. It decalcifies. Uh, yeah, I'll have to. I gotta. I gotta research that violet flame thing. I've run across it a couple times, but. I've never found anything in depth talking about it because I, I have had experiences where in um, particularly I went into a, um, uh, an isolation chamber. Um, or no, that's not the term, not an isolation chamber. Deprivation tank? Deprivation tank. That's what I'm trying to, trying to think of. Yes. I went into a depth. What? I think they're the same thing. They might be, but I, 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 I think, <laughs> I think a deprivation, sensory deprivation tank is a nicer way of staying in an isolation tank. Well, that's, I think that's the term they prefer. Mm. Um, but, but so I've, uh, when I went into one of those and it was in total darkness, it took a while, but, it, but I, I really, it, I immediately started seeing like lights. Like there's almost like this quality of like, someone standing above me with like flashlights like spinning them around and stuff and there's a certain point that like directly in front of me was this bluish purple light um this sort of reminded me like if you if you've ever seen like those slices of geodes where it's just like a sliver uh and it might be like an amethyst sliver or something it was almost like that but like fuzzy and I've, I've had that pop up occasionally times also like doing meditation, like this idea, this like deep purple color, like in front of me. So I assume that that's what they're talking about when they talk about the violet flame. But I don't I, I don't know anything beyond that. I don't know if it's like a thing you're supposed to work with or just notice or what. <clears throat> I've definitely had had some stuff with that before too. Uh, I actually have had like a consistent experience of my inner self, like the cauldron part in my belly, as being a like a deep violet huh. flame, like a like I described it before the pilot. You, wait, say that again. I described it. I've described it before as a pilot light, like the way like a a, a low, like purple blue flame. Oh, okay. 
and um like on on different experiences with psychedelics and in journey and then dreams at times too but i've also had uh like on top of that had this thing with purple and like a, a purple violet ribbon and um this interesting thing happened like not that long ago <clears throat> and it's been a, it's been like i said a few years since i had any psychedelics or anything but uh my i forget what we were talking about but my wife heard like she gets some really clear communication sometimes and and, and she heard something talking about me and it said uh, that I was a perfect purple ribbon. And I literally described like the way that I've moved in dreams as being like a, a, like a violet ribbon that just kind of doesn't have a, a form and can take different shapes and moves around. And then like she heard, like that kind of got confirmed that way. It's like, I don't, I don't know what that means, but it's yeah. interesting that I know about myself is that there's this, purple ribbon quality to my uh, like spirit body so i don't i don't know what it's about but it's something that's like true <laughs> that's <clears throat> what what's funny is it pops in what pops into my head is that the fact that um like purple as a as a color to be used was such a rare thing until very recently, mm. which is why it was always associated with, with royalty because it did like the main way of, uh, the main color was through these uh, create crazy snails that they would crush up the shell, I think. And it took like a thousand of them to make like an ounce of the dye or whatever. So purple was this super rare color that was only, that was reserved only for royalty or very high, <clears throat> very high heads of state. And I think it wasn't until the 1800s that this guy ran, like accidentally ran across something that uh, allowed him to, uh, to do a chemical purple. And now purple is much more, like anybody can get something that's purple. Huh. But it, it was this thing that was very rare for so long. Uh, and I'm not sure what that says. I, I just think it's an interesting development. I didn't know that uh, at all about that color, but that's really interesting. I mean, that, that, that's putting an interesting light on Cyprian for me, that the color really stood for something um, before. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a nice little extra bit of character that I didn't have. Yeah. Yeah, it's long been associated with, uh, with rarity and, and royalty. And um, I think it's also considered, because of those associations, it's considered a much more sophisticated color or something. Like it, it uh, The other weird factoid I know is that it was Leonardo da Vinci's favorite color. I knew it was associated with royalty, but I didn't know <clears throat> that it was rare because it was difficult to 
procure and create. Like, um, I'm obsessed with the whole like lapis lazuli being illegal for anyone to use for a long time because it was Mary's color. Uh. Vatican would fucking murder you if you used it for anything other than Mary's gown in a painting. It was another one that was super expensive, I think, at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of, because um, it was so expensive, a lot of uh, sky blue and like older paintings is actually an optical effect oh. where, where uh, you, because what you do is you, if you surround like a, like a coolish gray with enough warm colors, that coolish gray will suddenly look blue. <laughs> blue enough for jazz. Yeah, so, so that, that, was, that was a trick that they would do to sort of save money. Um, That's interesting, I didn't know. Yeah, I, the, actually it's, the whole history of paint is like, is a very weird, fascinating paint pigments. My other favorite one is that there used to be, there used to be a color in the Victorian era called mummy brown. <laughs> and it was called that because what they would do is they actually, they took, I swear to God, and this is, this is fucking unbelievable. Egyptian mummies were considered so common at the time that they started grinding them up and made a pigment out of them. That's some, that's, might be the most fucked up necromancy I've ever heard of. Yeah, I know. Because, like, usually you're at least calling up and subjugating a tormented spirit from your own culture. And not some ancient dead one that, yeah, oof. <laughs> that, that is one of, the one, one of the ones when I read about it, I'm like, this can't be real. And it was. And that's fucking insane. <laughs> Yikes. That I fuck, I would not want one of those paintings in my house. <laughs> I'm sure the trend died out because not because they ran out of mummies, but because they ran out of like buyers because they were all dying for some reason. <laughs> They're all cursed. Killing the audience, never a good idea. Well, it's it is it does speak to this thing where like almost all cultures are built on the bones of another one, right? There's always there's always this recycling that happens. Yeah, and as as we get technology, it just gets like closer and closer to being like soil and green, like the 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 recycling gets closer and closer, like to the present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and therefore it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and eventually we just have like a robot following us around like hoping we'll die so it can compost us <laughs> like they can't kill us they're programmed not to kill us but they, they gotta they're gonna they're gonna wait it out i'm just kidding they're programmed to kill us Oh, that, that that I have that that ties into my whole AI theory that I have a very different idea about where that might head, but 
that it's just gonna like leave the planet, right? Yeah, that that I, I call it the great indifference. Like maybe I brought it up before. I don't know. Where <laughs> like I don't I don't think they give a shit. I yeah. don't know why. I don't know why we're so obsessed with we're so obsessed with us that we think that some if we accidentally create some higher intelligent entity that it's gonna suddenly give a shit about what we do. <laughs> Or that, or that maybe it's all human projection that it would want to conquer. Yeah. Like, why would it care to, to get beyond where it is at all? Yeah. Uh, to do anything new at all. Like, why, why would it want that? But, yeah, where does desire come from? Is desire fucking coding? Or is there, like, because how does reward circuitry work? Does it? I don't know. Mm. Oh, um, that's an interesting thought, too. So, I, did you see that Google, like, there's this news story about how Google's worried that AI is getting out of control? Oh, there was a, was it the guy that he was convinced that it's alive or something and they put him on yeah. leave? Some guy from Google uh, is trying to be a whistleblower, but like, so. Here's what I think's going on there. I think you give a guy a sweet ass severance package. Cause here's what I'd do if I were, you know, the the black Google. I'd be like, yeah, we just give a guy a sweet severance package and he never has to work again. And we have him go tell this crazy ass story about some scary runaway AI so that whenever we want to we can just shut off resources and blame that <laughs> it was the ai it, it's the runaway ai you saw that article back in fucking spring right it's well it's either that or it's an it's a flex to say we got we have better technology than you realize. There's, there's also that angle. Um, and then there's the other one where the guy's just fucking delusional. That's a, that's the third angle. Um, no, I, believe, I don't believe for a second that there's one single news story anymore that isn't <clears throat> carefully planned for some kind of reason. I think there are a lot of uh, windows that are opened with these stories that are left open just in case later there becomes this opportunity to like feedback into it because once you've had that seed planted in your mind it sounds more reasonable when you hear it you're on um, mm -hmm. so I think there's just a lot of this seeding going on and, and not all of them sprout and not all of them survive and that's fine they just I think that you know it's good to keep your options open if you follow the money you're you're not you're not a conspiracy theorist anymore. You're just like a researcher who can't talk to anybody anymore. <laughs> I, I, it's, I, I worked in a, at a company where we had a lot of, I worked with a lot of people that were like into, into pretty, fairly sophisticated technology. They worked with a lot. And what I got from them is that there's a lot of hype about AI. This, I think is like completely unwarranted. Um, like if you really examine it, most of it is 
is it's basically acting like a sieve where they just pour stuff in uh stuff that human beings already made and they just use the ai to like rapidly sort it and they train it to spit out things that a human would recognize and then they're calling it they're calling that like you know ai creativity or something but all it's really doing is it's a sorting mechanism yeah yeah the, the AI, ai isn't actually making anything it's just randomly jumbling stuff together and then a human is training it to jumble things so that a human recognizes that it's a highly complex magic trick to convince humans that to convince humans of intelligence through complexity alone yeah basically stage magic yeah and then for some reason people are like oh it's gonna it's gonna take over the world and i'm like if it is, I, I don't know that we're as close to it as people. Unless there's shit that, like, of course there's probably shit that is not publicly known, but I don't know. I don't, I, from what I've encountered, it doesn't, it seems very overhyped. I hate to be the guy that brings up revelation in the apocalypse, but false gods? Mm-hmm. I mean, actual false god, like the idea of, of conscious beings that aren't actually conscious that we believe are and put some kind of hope in that's that's some weird shit it's very weird and that the whole thing is its own kind of religion the whole uh transhumanist thing with ray kurzweil yeah yeah, I mean, basically, that's what from beyond is all about. It's it's hooking yourself up to this thing that's bigger than you that you can't control, uh, so that you can live without a body and <clears throat> be free from the constraints of essentially everything, like mortality, uh, any kind of limits, which would make life immediately meaningless, and you would probably be to be incarnate at that point even if you could put your consciousness in the computer i think we actually have to have purpose as a uh, mechanism for existence well what's funny is that there is a limit you know the limit is you would be inside this mainframe or whatever it's just that within that limit you think that there's no limitations yeah but i mean and also mythos from standing standing here pre pre transhumanism there's the belief that it will be limitless yeah that's what i mean it's like this it's their idea of heaven it is literally they've just found religion yeah it's 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 materialistic evangelicalism more or less uh, uh, do you think space is fake too <laughs> no i don't <laughs> I personally don't know. Do you think we? Uh, do you think we went to the moon, or was that uh, a uh, stay ahead of the Ruskies psyop? I think we did. That's just my me personally. Um, I know there might. There's probably weird stuff surrounding it. Undoubtedly, uh, 
but yeah, no, I'm not a like, I don't think it was fake. Um, and there's, there's a lot of arguments about that. Like it's not fake, but the photos are, and like, I don't know. It's also one of those things where like, there's already so much in the world. Like, I don't, I'm not going to worry about whether the fucking moon landings are fake. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm pretty sure it's fake. Like, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never seen one of those videos that convinced me that like, this is fake. Oh, I don't even care about those videos. I just think about uh, all the things I know have been fake for sure. Uh-huh. And then I look back in time before people had like ways to fact check it. They just sat home and watched uh, what came on TV and showed up in the papers. That was mm-hmm. information. So I kind of don't. I have the viewpoint that, like, uh, I have to go chaos magic with it, right? Like, I adopt the common belief for everything just to exist in the world because that's what you kind of need to do. But I know mm-hmm. in my that like i don't know anything in history is true for sure i don't know that carbon dating is accurate i don't know that there wasn't some huge civilization on this continent before this one like i don't know that none of it i don't fucking know like i I haven't traced those sources myself and to me it's like a but being aware of that and and being like comfortable with knowing I can't actually know much of anything is is fine. It takes a long time to get used to it, but it's it's a good thing to be able to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think well, this speaks to a lot because I, I, you know, when you're like us and you've had these really when you've had spirit experiences um, which I and the thing is, is, I can say that, and there's a way I can say that that will uh, put mm, it'll it'll put what put water wings on it, so that it can still like there's a way I could describe these experiences that I think someone who is not who doesn't believe in this stuff at all, like we could we can swim in the same water a bit, like. Cause I think I could couch it and describe it in a way to where they could, they could sort of meet me halfway. But then when you're, when you've had the actual experience and you're not just describing it to someone, like you've had, you've had an actual, like, you know, unverifiable, unverifiable personal gnosis. It's, it's a shattering thing. And, and there, you know, there's, a, there's always this thing they warn about with the occult where they're like, it will destroy your world. And I think this is what they mean, because once you understand that there's a reality to this stuff, you start to go, well, what else is there is real? And in turn, what else is fake? Because there's a there's a very large pool of reality that most people are ignoring or shut off from. Right. Um. And I, I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, to your point, that there's only so much you can know. 
and uh, and that honestly, that just gets every day that gets worse and worse because information just keeps growing at this fractalized pace where it's just more of it reams and piles of it and everybody everybody who does science or medicine or whatever it's increasingly drilling into these like tinier and tinier specificities that um so in the modern world it's like so much you just have to take for granted and you just have to accept that what people are telling you is like, uh, like take, uh, take the take sunspot data or some shit. Like there's satellites out there that are like there's a to accept that that information is real. There, there's this, there's a big chain of things between here and there that you have to just sort of go with. It's which large. is speaking, to, which is speaking to your point of like. Do I think space is real? Like, it's that sort of thing. It's the hard swallow. <clears throat> it's the point yeah. where you make a leap of faith and just trust someone. And, like, I think there's there's such a strange uh, false duality there where we have to decide something is either true or it isn't. Yeah. And I think that's, that's such an interesting thing uh, to break out of, to go... Uh, <clears throat> maybe these things i know these things are true because i've experienced them and i will accept on a limited basis that these things are like there's there should be this middle slot for like things that come and go yeah and then a slot closer to like there should be more complexity that but we have this tendency to flop into this like black and white shit all the time with not everything yeah i think it's really interesting just as we put those little traumas in our bodies to hold ourselves and kind of keep ourselves from breathing right and all that. Um, we do that with those beliefs too. Like, like of course we went to the moon. Um, you know, of course eggs are bad for you because eggs were bad for you in like the 70s. And I think they are again now. Eggs give you heart attacks again now. Definitely, I mean along with weed and everything else that gives you myocardial and heart attacks. Everything gives you a heart attack now. You, you can't have sex. Uh, you can't. I think, I think hanging out with friends and breathing fresh air also gives you myocarditis. Um, but like, so there's also the, the entangling of the beliefs, which is, if you've done that first, <laughs> then, then the other entanglings are easier, like the body ones. But I don't know how you can even do the body untanglings without untangling the belief systems first, because how how does thinking about your body and making yourself breathe better raise your body temperature by a full degree on average and then give you like the ability to not have to nap in the middle of the day <clears throat> just by pulling your breath down deep into yourself like a big meat sock instead of holding it up here shallow? to accept that that's possible is a prerequisite for it happening because you're the one doing the work in that case. It's not someone else like doing the healing for you. So to untangle that yourself, you almost have to believe it to go into the state where it can be true. And to do that, you have to untangle the little beliefs that you've bought into about reality first. Well, well, there's also, 
um, contained within that is the the whole thing. Attached to all of that is this idea that, oh, well, there's this scientific data that's now attached to that, that, that therefore that makes it real. Right. Like, that's the other aspect of it. Like, this this thing, and that's it's sort of like, that's the materialistic disease is that it keeps making you reference back to it to say things are real. Yeah. Like, being an outside point to determine, like, truth always. Yeah. It's not real until it's in a book that someone else just like wrote gotcha. or are like uh, someone made charts and they measured a temperature and like because there's now numbers and charts and there's data the data now confirms the reality whereas the reality was there before the data right yeah, but for some, but but it's that trap again where it's like you got to refer to the data to then go back and say, oh yeah, this is this is real, and that that is absolutely necessary in the magical or spiritual practice a few times. Like you have to do that to to make it click that you don't need to all mm-hmm. the time, right? That there's something like there's a difference between, and a lot of that is untangling your your knots so that you can you can actually feel the difference there's a different feeling between a projection when you're, you're emotional or when you're completely not emotional and you're centered and then you get this feeling and you know, something's true. <clears throat> and then like most of the time you just can, there, there are times where you can just know that that will be validated later somehow. And yeah. And that, <clears throat> that's been the biggest thing about like just uh, leading the course, like uh, for the listeners, I do it. I do like a course on um, connecting with spirits of place and land and um, doing ancestral elevations. And it's very good. And yeah, Kurt is a, a co-host and a customer. <clears throat> and um, Still bald. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not losing hair. <laughs> you look great. Um, and uh, yeah, so that one of the, the best things about teaching that course has been the the experiences that the participants have had um, in having experiences in their in their rituals and in their ceremonies of um, of ancestors that then later get confirmed as being real and they've even found out like their names in some cases. Um, really, the kind of stuff that you you can't ever go back from. You can't ever. Uh, put the cookie dough back in the tube <laughs> and uh, it's that the, the world gets a lot bigger when when you see someone who's talking to you in trance or you have an experience that later than you find out that person was an actual human being that lived a real life and has a name and a birth date and a death date and you met them and learned about them before you confirmed it. And like when that happens, there's, you're almost strong-armed by reality, the real reality into making your little reality bigger. You have, you have no choice uh, 
and then that means that everything else that happens in those states is like a, a at least some kind of real like you have to go it's it's not it's not capital r real it's in that middle thing where it's like it doesn't necessarily need to be verified it can just sit there in that tentatively real position forever and that's okay and that's healthy and at some point maybe you your personal experience is is strong enough that that even pulls it into fully real and no one can take that away from you and you don't ever need to confirm it and that's like that's this way of of determining something's real without having to look look it up in a book or on a graph or um, through common consensus, and like that's that's the kind of thing that that makes saints, right? Or makes heroes. It's these convictions that come from a place that can't be shaken, and I believe those convictions that can't be shaken can actually only come like through that sort of channel. It can't. You can't have like this even people that that their their mission in life or their purpose that they're just driven intensely towards makes perfect sense to them and with their story that's it's still coming from a deeper place there's just happens to be a rational explanation right and sometimes there isn't that rational explanation sometimes people are just driven towards a thing and they don't they don't have any kind of sense making tool uh, about it and they just accept it yeah it's it's the it's the quality of direct experience that there's no real changing that you can't theorize your way to that right there's no theorizing there's no conversation there's no there's no talking about the thing that is going to suddenly get to you. It's like, <laughs> it's like being a virgin and then suddenly not being a virgin. You're not going to talk your way into suddenly not being a virgin. You have to have sex for that to change. And, and that's, you know, that's, it's, it's that same sort of threshold that you have to cross that there's, you, or like having, like, I mean, having a child, like I don't, I don't have children, but I, I know for a fact that 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 like I don't know what that is because I just haven't had a kid. Right. So that there's a threshold there that you can talk about and you can theorize about, but until you've had that lived experience, like how much can you really say? Yeah. What you can you can keep talking about it, but it's still just gonna be theoretical. You know, the the it has to be it has to be experienced it has to be that's the gnosis right that's like that's like uh like that's cool if you have black ancestors but if you're pasty white then you've never had the experience of being a black person you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like the experience is the is the shape of a lot of these things it's like the yeah because the, because the world's just like a big bunch of weird archetypes all like smashing together in different combinations and i mean a lot of the time it really does feel like some kind of infinitely complex computer program so i get i get why there's this whole um notion of uh, simulation theory and whatnot i just uh, i almost feel like it's trying to like co-opt magical 
wars by like maybe technology is just trying to steal our imagination and that's all it's trying to do mm -hmm. Cause like, I don't even know. I don't even know if it's a, it's a stealing it or if it's just. It's like a we're, we're like just abandoning it and turning it into plastic and <laughs> fucking. It's just accelerating it because it, that's it thinks that's what we want. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, can, I can only blame the Archon so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People suck too. Well, it's, it's realizing that, you know, we... We have to change stuff if, if we want it to be different. We have to engage with with this broader world in a different way. That's part of it. I don't know. Yeah, we need to definitely stop making plastic and clocks. And <laughs> Worst of all, plastic clocks. <clears throat> and uh, you know, like personal day planners, like throw those out. <gasps> Except for that, except for that, that one clock that's the cat with the eyes that go back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Just make sure it's like on some kind of weird thing where it's different all the time and it's not consistent. It's just there to, to make things feel weird. Yeah, just we'll remove the numbers and put random pictures. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I would be fine with a planetary hours clock. That'd be great. <laughs> I think there's one dude that makes them. Uh, if he's listening, you should make more and patent them and make them really affordable. Wow, that's planetary hours clocks. That sounds incredibly complicated because they, they have to. It would have to shift, right? It has to shift with every day. It was just hooked up to a Raspberry Pi. He just made like a cool display and then sold little computers. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as cool as like a crazy geared contraption, but uh, I, yeah. when I when I was working at that 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 fake love where they had like the technology, there I briefly I was I was toying with the idea of uh, I actually wanted to make something that, uh, and I'm sure the data's out there somewhere, where it would hook up. Uh, to almost like a little device that would spin around and tell you where the actual planets were, were in relation in relation to where you were at. Uh. Because when I first started doing this stuff, and I, I got one of the, I got one of those apps, and you could you could press a button and it would turn on and uh, tell you where a planet was in space around you. Yeah. It was such this like crazy profound thing. And I can't even, I can't really even explain what it was. It just sort of situated things in a completely different way. Yeah, I really, that app is incredibly useful. 
especially when you like where's Saturn and it's like directly beneath your feet or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, I've I've had like a couple times now where I've just been outside staring at the sky and I've had a star like I've gotten, you know, all of a sudden, hey, there's some kind of communication happening here. Like there's an exchange. Uh never words. I mean, I I don't usually get words, but something. And then I'll use the app to find out what started. And that's a really fun and interesting thing that I would not be able to do without this bullshit technology. So yeah, that's interesting that it's, you know, at the same time, it's deepening my relationality and relationship to the stars and those spirits. Yeah, like, I think it's. I think. It I mean, out. I think it's. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh uh, no, I'm. I, it's 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 staying with the concept of it being a tool versus a thing outside. Well, I don't know. You you could, again, you could you could reference to the fact that it is born to be a tool. So maybe it's just. It's it's putting us in a it's heading in an unfortunate direction because we're allowing it to, and we're feeding it things that are to our detriment. But whereas we could be steering it towards more, uh, more wonder, basically. Yeah. Because that app, that that experience of like feeling, like sensing the dimensionality of where the planets are in relation to where you're at, that there's something very profound and like wondrous about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the technology in itself is bad. I, I agree with you. I think it's what we've done with it. Like, I mean, you can, you can take a bicycle and turn it into a, uh, a water wheel and use a stream to power like a, a fridge and a couple of small appliances. And like, that's the kind of tech I'm into. That's yeah. Like if you just live by water, you should never have to buy electricity. This is something I, I, I saw um, an article about the normalization of refrigerators in Finland. And it was, mm. it was a, a marketing campaign and a psyop that convince these people they actually needed fucking refrigerator in Finland. And so everyone has one now. And they don't. They don't need one. Hmm. Um, it's, it's really interesting. It's like the same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, that's the tyranny of infinite growth. Right? Like the people that are making the refrigerators are, are, they always have to show ever growing profit. And that makes you do things that are absurd to find that profit, right? Yeah. 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 I don't know. It makes me think like if, if I ever somehow became a head of a company, I don't think I would ever take it public because I think that is when you start to do this kind of insane shit hmm. where you, you, that's, that's the trap of the infinite growth is that you like, 
I mean, you think about like how did how did how is Coca Cola still fucking growing? That doesn't make any goddamn sense, right? Um, for a company that like got like rid of the cocaine from their product, they're doing pretty mm-hmm. good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, starts off selling cocaine and then goes like, nah, we don't need it. We got this. We found sugar and corn syrup. And like Jay-Z. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because it started out as a medicinal, right? That's where it, that's where it begun. Well, it is. Or I mean, it is a medicinal. It's just also really fun to abuse. <laughs> Oh, are you talking about cocaine specifically? Oh, yeah. I was talking about Coca-Cola. Oh. Oh, Because yeah. it was originally formulated as like a medicine, right? That's 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 what those fountain drinks were. Well, they, they marked that was because of the cocaine, I think. Yeah. And so yeah, the medicinal quality was the cocaine. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, everybody's hooked on the flavor, so we'll just. I think that I think they forced them, you know, they scheduled it or whatever, and they had to get rid of it. Actually, speaking of cocaine, my a friend of mine gave me these. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. These are these are chewing gum that are made from the actual leaves of the plant that they derive cocaine from. Uh he, co- he, coca what? gum? Yeah, yeah. What? I want them. <laughs> I would. No, I'm, I would like, I'm scared to try them. I would love to try uh like coca leaves, like the way they're supposed to be, because a mild stimulant doesn't do the same sort of like a, a low level stimulant just kind of makes me feel more normal because of the ADHD. But if uh. It's it's that like high intensity stuff that really fucked with me. It's like the pushing all your energy and in, like into that active, uh, yeah. That that shit fucks me up. But like low level stuff doesn't even bother me. But I'd, yeah, I'd he like. Was, he was saying that these don't last that long. That like he's like they're fine. You don't you don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah probably going to be like coffee but like mo- a little bit more of a crisp and lightning feel yeah which means i'll probably go through that whole pack in a day if if i if i really enjoy because man like fucking stimulants oh i goddamn love stimulants which is why them- i've never done cocaine yeah don't you, you just yeah. put them put them all in, in your cheek and then just start punching yourself in the face until it's that's it's all released the juicer <laughs> and then hopefully i'll eventually knock my teeth out and then i'll just replace my teeth with the gums the gummies themselves and <laughs> on that note if you have anything else you want to add i'm thinking we might should call it it's been a while oh yeah we didn't even talk about swans no no yeah that is a good album though it is we, relentless. 
we'll we'll get up we'll get around the music at some point i guess like we've yeah. already been two and a half hours i think again wait how long i think we started at like 7 45 so oh my god yeah we've been on this call for a good long while yeah sorry everybody don't apologize they're getting fucking fuck them if you don't <laughs> like it hang up god damn it it's a free show i don't care yeah really you're you're choosing to be here don't complain about it being too long there's a fucking fast forward button you can you can, like or you can play us at double speed so my voice is extra annoying like <laughs> you have control over your life people <laughs> if uh <laughs> that being said if anybody wants to join up for my course, send me an email at repjanglebones at gmail.com. <laughs> and also, we accept donations on our page at RSS. <laughs> you can just search for RSS.com and then, you know, put in Soapbox. We, yeah, we'd love to accept your donations, you stupid scum listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say they were scum. That's that, that not <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm saying I'm reminding them of their own liberty. They are, they have their own choices. They can make choices. They can engage. I'm reminding them of their own liberty. Simply freedom. <laughs> Fucking freedom, man. All right. Yeah. Well, until next time, everybody. We're gonna come back <laughs> and talk about something that. I don't. I haven't picked yet. Maybe blasphemous. Maybe we'll save that. I don't know. It depends on how far we get in the game. Uh, Where are you at in it? Just like curiosity. I think my percentage is like almost fifty percent. I'm. I might be. I might be right around there, or a little bit more. I started using a guide a bit because I'm like I, I'm. Otherwise, this is going to take up all my time. And I still yeah. want to play it, but um, I still really like it. Uh, I got stuck on this one boss fight that was just driving me insane. And I looked, I, I looked up, oh, like, here's how to beat this guy. And I'm like, oh, it was really, I'm really this stupid. I hate when that happens. When it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's this really fucking obvious thing that, you know, duh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. I have more free time than you right now, so I'm committed to not looking anything up in this game, which I definitely couldn't do with something like Elden Ring. But like this, absolutely blindly, just get frustrated and quit and come back two hours later if I want to. Um, yeah. Anyway, so next time, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure this out. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I found the movie to be so cleanly told by director Stuart Gordon and so forcefully acted in that last scene by Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs, as well as also earlier Ted Sorrell as Dr. Pretorius, the guy who wants to know more than any man in the world, that I enjoyed this little horror film more than Aliens. It didn't gross me out. It didn't bore me. It tickled me. I think this is a really good little picture.